Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Port St. Lucie, Florida. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Blake and Mary Jo Hadley were madly in love from the beginning. They met in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and instantly clicked. While Blake was super tall, he was always referred to as a gentle giant, and Mary Jo was this gorgeous curly-haired brunette, and in every single picture of her, you got a glimpse of her million-dollar smile. Blake and Mary Jo were both kind, considerate, and happy people. They were two halves of the same whole, and they always knew it. Once they were married, the two moved to Port St. Lucie, Florida, and started building a storybook life together. Blake had been a plant operator at Florida Power & Light for several years, and Mary Jo worked as an elementary school teacher. With a new home and two solid careers, there was no question in their minds that it was time to start a family. Before they knew it, they had a son named Ryan, and six years later, they welcomed Tyler. The boys became the center of their parents' universe, and there wasn't anything Blake and Mary Jo wouldn't do to make sure that both Ryan and Tyler felt supported and happy. A chief assistant state attorney spoke to the show Killer Kids and said that the Hadleys were two decent, hardworking people trying to provide everything they could for their family. Friends of the family note that Mary Jo was fiercely protective of her kids, especially Tyler, since he was born prematurely. He weighed only a few pounds when he was born and was kept in an incubator in the NICU for months. As a former NICU mom myself, I can tell you that every single moment watching your baby struggle to breathe and eat while you can't even hold them to comfort them makes you feel like your entire world is crumbling down around you. It feels like the planet you're on has stopped turning while everyone else is somehow keeping Keeps going. People watch TV and eat lunch while it feels like you're stuck in time. A miserable, helpless time. With Tyler being in the NICU for so long, Mary Jo worried that she hadn't bonded with him properly in the first few weeks of his life. Because of that, it seemed like she tried to make up for lost time, and some say that she coddled him as he got older. When Tyler was young, Blake and Mary Jo took him to a special magnet elementary school that was 20 minutes out of the way each morning just to make sure he got the best education there was. Later, he also took some pricey private music lessons and, in turn, learned to play the trumpet and drums. When Tyler started getting your average teen acne, Blake and Mary Jo paid for Accutane, an expensive and pretty serious treatment to help so he wouldn't feel so self-conscious. Basically, if they could do anything to make Tyler's life better or make him feel better, they were going to do it, and maybe it got a little out of hand. Tyler was the tallest person in his class, but for whatever reason, was worried about being too short. So according to the book, See How Much You Love Me by Amber Hunt, his parents got him growth hormones to help with his height. When Tyler started stealing his parents' car, he wasn't grounded. Instead, their solution was to buy him a vehicle of his own, a very nice vehicle, a Lincoln, even though they couldn't afford it. It is abundantly clear that Blake and Mary Jo were parents who only wanted the best for their sons, but it's also clear that Blake and Mary Jo could go a little overboard sometimes. Some say that they prioritize their son's happiness over their discipline, which can be a hard line to draw as a parent sometimes. 
They wanted them to have the world, and the boundaries got a little blurry. In fact, according to author Amber Hunt, Mary Jo's parents felt like their grandsons were actually disrespectful to their parents. The boys seemed to get away with a lot, and sometimes that's not the biggest deal. Some kids in that environment grow up to be perfectly fine, and Tyler's older brother Ryan certainly did. According to WFLX, Ryan described his parents as loving and generous and said he was very close with his family while growing up. But his younger brother Tyler seemed to have a different experience, at least to him. According to Killer Kids, Tyler was close to his family throughout his childhood, and he was especially attached to his mom, Mary Jo. They would sit together on the couch and overall seemed to get along really well. Tyler and Ryan were pretty close too. They spent a lot of time hanging out, playing video games, and playing basketball with their dad outside. For all intents and purposes, the Hadleys look like your average all-American family. They played football together, took vacations, and Tyler made plenty of friends in the neighborhood, and he and the kids would meet up and go skateboarding or trade Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Both parents were present and engaged in Ryan and Tyler's lives, and just looking at them, you would assume that this family would have given Tyler everything he needed to become a kind and successful person. But everything changed when his older brother Ryan moved out for college. When Ryan moved out, things started to fall apart. According to the book See How Much You Love Me, Tyler went from a lovable, though spoiled boy, to a completely unmanageable teenager. By the time he was 12, he'd started drinking. At 13, he was vandalizing homes and starting small fires and would eventually be convicted of burglary. Ryan told the author that Tyler's bad behavior only got worse when he got into high school and started hanging out with the wrong crowd. When he was 15, he started smoking marijuana and by 16, he'd escalated to taking harder drugs like Xanax, Percocet, Oxycodone, and Ecstasy. The book also notes that when Tyler was 17, he was accused of hitting a person with his dad's truck. When he was 18, he was arrested for aggravated battery after getting into a fight at his friend's house. For that, he was sentenced to a week in jail and two weeks of house arrest. When it comes to school, Tyler skipped class so frequently that he wound up getting kicked out. Tyler tried to go to a different school to get his GED, but he was kicked out of that one too. With all those issues, it's no surprise that his once doting relationship with his parents became a bit strained to say the least. He didn't like them and Tyler thought his parents felt the same. Friends of Mary Jo's said that Tyler would randomly ask his mom, do you hate me and want me dead? Which was a grim glimpse into what was going on in his head. According to Rolling Stone journalist Nathaniel Rich, classmates described Tyler as bizarre. He was all about the shock factor, blurting out outrageous things at inappropriate times to get a reaction from students and teachers. Students saw Tyler as a jokester with a dark sense of humor, but his jokes weren't always that funny. 
Tyler constantly joked about killing his parents. According to Killer Kids, Tyler commented to his friends, wouldn't it be cool if I killed my parents and held a party while their bodies were still in the house? His classmates blew off the statement, assuming he was joking. But Tyler's jokes were more of a reality than anyone knew. As much as people thought Tyler was just being a class clown, he wasn't a joyful class clown by any means. According to the book See How Much You Love Me, several people reported that Tyler seemed depressed and melancholy. Blake and Mary Jo tried to get him some medical help, and Tyler was prescribed numerous medications for depression and anxiety. But even still, he had extremely low self-esteem. He would often refer to himself as fat and stupid, and he would constantly put himself down. By 17, he developed bulimia, which is an eating disorder where a person essentially vomits after eating to avoid caloric intake. As time went on, Tyler continued to make wrong decision after wrong decision. Whether it was stealing his parents' car or their money, he was spiraling out of control. In the five years between when his brother left and Tyler turned 17, it seemed like he had hit rock bottom several times. His older brother Ryan told author Amber Hunt that Tyler had become a pathological liar. Ryan explained how when Blake and Mary Jo caught Tyler sneaking out of the house, Tyler would vehemently deny it. He would never admit guilt and would get enraged if his parents suggested he'd done something wrong, despite having literal proof that he was lying. Tyler's lying then bled into other aspects of his life. He told his parents that he had a girlfriend, but at the same time assured Ryan that he never did a lie that seemed to serve no purpose at all. Blake and Mary Jo were at a loss when it came to their youngest son. He'd become rude, vulgar, and no matter what they said or did, Tyler couldn't seem to get his act together. That being said, with as much chaos that was going on behind closed doors and in school, other people who didn't interact with Tyler on a regular basis just didn't see it. Neighbors thought he was a nice and respectful kid, while those closest to him were getting a whole different version. Tyler was great at appearing to be an obedient son when others were around. The chief assistant state attorney at the time said that Blake and Mary Jo saw Tyler slipping away. They tried to help by cracking down on discipline, but it was a struggle. They tried grounding him, tracking his location, and would take away his phone, but none of it worked. Tyler's childhood friend told Killer Kids that Blake and Mary Jo were never very hard on Tyler despite his behavior. Tyler, however, felt the punishments were severe. In response, the boy who used to sit with his mom on the couch and play basketball with his dad started saying that he hated his mom. As time passed, Blake and Mary Jo looked into counseling options. Ryan said that Tyler was threatening to commit suicide, so their parents got more worried than they already were. They made the difficult decision to put Tyler in rehab, but Tyler refused to finish the program. The book See How Much You Love Me states that they then tried a special treatment center that offered intensive outpatient therapy, and Tyler agreed to go. He liked the idea of being able to live at home while he got treatment, and frankly, it seemed like it was working. He started helping out around the house and stopped sneaking around. Tyler only stopped attending therapy when he and his dad took a trip to Georgia the summer before his senior year, and at that point, Mary Jo and Blake were ecstatic that 17-year-old Tyler seemed to be pulling himself together. But it was all a ruse. 
According to Killer Kids, Tyler knew that if this outpatient program didn't work for him, his parents were going to send him back to an inpatient program. When Tyler failed a drug test while in the outpatient program, Mary Joan Blake started to catch on to what Tyler was doing. And that is when things, as bad as they already were, started to get worse. Tyler was still making inappropriate jokes to his friends about killing his parents, and the joke was told so often around his friends that on the morning of July 16, 2011, his friend Matt messaged him without any prompting, Did you do it? To which Tyler replied, No, but I'm gonna. Matt urged the joke on by saying, You really should. Tyler responded, Don't worry, I am. Then I'm having a party. Matt would later tell police that he thought Tyler was kidding since he always joked about killing Blake and Mary Jo. The following timeline comes from the incredibly detailed book, See How Much You Love Me by Amber Hunt. The same day of the text, at 1.15 p.m. on July 16th, Tyler posted to Facebook saying, Party at my crib tonight, maybe. According to Killer Kids, Tyler's friends asked, Won't your parents be mad? To which Tyler responded, Don't worry, they won't. While Tyler was planning his maybe party, Blake and Mary Jo were in town running some errands. They grabbed a late lunch at McDonald's at 2.57 p.m. and got home sometime after 3 p.m. A little more than an hour and a half later, Mary Jo talked to her mom on the phone, and at 4.55 p.m., Tyler posted a YouTube link to the song Feel Lucky by Lil Boosie on Facebook. Here are some of the lyrics, minus some that talk about winning the lottery. I feel lucky. When I woke up this morning, stumbled out of my rack, I opened up the paper to the page in the back. It only took a minute for my finger to find my daily dose of destiny under my sign. I feel lucky. I feel lucky. No Professor Doom's gonna stand in my way. Think I'll flip a coin. I'm a winner either way. I feel lucky today. Three hours and 20 minutes passed after the posting of the song before Tyler made another post about the party. It was no longer a maybe party and read, party at my house, hit me up. It included his dad's cell phone number in the post so that his friends could call him for more information. Tyler's own phone had been taken away by his parents, but it feels like a hard pass that his dad would lend him his cell phone to help him coordinate a house party. At 7.48 p.m., Mary Jo's friend sent her a text, but Mary Jo never replied. Her friend texted her again at 8.54 p.m., but still got nothing. Mary was the kind of person that read all of her texts and answered pretty quickly, so her friend got the feeling that something was off, but not off enough to cause too much concern. People get busy, and sometimes you just don't check your phone. July 16th passed, and the following day, Tyler was already planning another party. He posted to Facebook at 4.40 a.m., almost like he'd started planning it right after the one he'd just thrown had ended, and he posted, Party at my house again, hit me up. But that party never happened, because police showed up at the Hadley house just a few minutes later. According to the book, See How Much You Love Me, 20 minutes prior to showing up, law enforcement had gotten a tip from Crime Stoppers. The anonymous tip stated that Tyler Hadley had killed his parents with a hammer the day before. The tipster gave Tyler's home address, and police immediately responded to the home. 
When they got there, officers noticed a light on inside the house, and through the window, they could see Tyler pacing back and forth. He was throwing items from the living room into a bedroom. Officers knocked on the door repeatedly, trying to make contact with whoever was inside, but Tyler didn't answer. Instead, the lights in the house shut off, which was law enforcement's cue to call for backup. Police knocked one more time, and finally, Tyler answered the door. And he wasn't in good shape. Police described him as nervous, frantic, and extremely talkative. Tyler stared at the officers blankly, and when asked where his parents were, Tyler told them that they were vacationing in West Palm Beach. His statement didn't sit right with responding officers. Between Tyler's behavior, the anonymous tip, and the fact that his parents' vehicles were still in the driveway, police took Tyler into custody and made an emergency welfare check looking for Blake and Mary Jo. Once inside, the police saw that the house was in complete shambles. According to the arrest affidavit, Tyler had taken absolutely everything off the walls. It was like something out of a movie. Officers could see the outlines of frames and nails sticking out of where decor used to hang, and furniture was just missing. Empty beer bottles were littered throughout the house, red solo cups covered the kitchen counter and living room floor, furniture was turned over in bedrooms, bedding and clothing were strewn around the room, tobacco was all over the floor, and beer bottles were on the bed. They were obvious remnants of the rager that had just ended at the house, but it also seemed like more than that. Blake and Mary Jo's master bedroom was the most disturbed out of all the rooms in the house. Police saw what looked like every piece of furniture from inside the house in that room. Dining room chairs, the coffee table, clothes, picture frames, mirrors, bedding, towels, papers, a mop, etc. Anything and everything that Tyler could have thrown in the master bedroom was in there, but that wasn't the most shocking part. There were blood stains and pools of blood on the floor with a blood-soaked towel just inside the door. Officers shoved aside the furniture to actually get into the master bedroom, and that's when they spotted the leg of a male. It was sticking out from under the piles of furniture, and the leg was cold and covered in blood. Officers immediately called for EMS to confirm what they suspected to be a dead body. As they waited, they found a dog locked in a closet. The dog was unharmed, but then they spotted a female's arm buried under a stack of furniture. It didn't take long for law enforcement to come to the conclusion that the anonymous tip was right, and they had just found the bodies of Tyler's parents. The investigation into the Hadley's murder was swift. Police met with the Crime Stoppers caller, Michael, at the station, and Michael was Tyler's best friend. He'd moved into Tyler's neighborhood when they were both eight, and they had been close ever since. The afternoon of July 16th, Tyler told Michael that he was going to kill his parents. Michael didn't take Tyler seriously since he'd threatened to kill them in the past, and multiple people confirmed that Tyler had been cracking that joke, which didn't always feel like a joke, since he was 10 years old, which would have been two years before his brother Ryan moved out and everyone first started to notice his dark side. On the evening of July 16th, at around 8.15 p.m., Tyler held that party he'd posted about on Facebook. Roughly 60 people attended, and immediately, Michael noticed a change in Tyler's behavior. He told Killer Kids that Tyler would walk out randomly and seemed jittery. 
After some time, Tyler pulled Michael aside to talk to him in the garage, and that's when Tyler told him that he had killed his parents. Michael didn't believe him, but Tyler pointed out that his parents' vehicles were still in the driveway and then pointed to a bloody footprint on the garage floor. Tyler then explained to Michael how he'd murdered his parents. First, he said he stole their credit card and cell phones and locked the cell phones in his room. Tyler then stood behind his mother in the kitchen while she was using the computer and contemplated killing her for a few minutes before he acted on it. He hit her in the back of the head with a hammer. He said his mom screamed, turned around from the computer, and looked at Tyler in the eye to ask him why, but he kept hitting her. Tyler's dad heard the screaming and rushed into the kitchen and asked him why he was doing this, to which Tyler replied, why the fuck not? Tyler and his father stared at each other for a moment before Tyler chased his dad into the bedroom and killed him with the same hammer he'd used to kill his mom. With his dad murdered in the bedroom, Tyler dragged his mother to the room, leaving the house covered in blood. Tyler cleaned for three hours before the party, but blood spatters still remained. He told Michael it took way longer than he thought it would. According to Michael's interview with Killer Kids, as Tyler explained the murder, he cried when he spoke about his mom, but laughed when he talked about hurting his father. Michael was in shock and still didn't believe Tyler, assuming it was fake blood, for a very complicated and very sadistic joke. But when Michael opened the door to the master bedroom and saw Blake's legs sticking out from a pile of things on the floor, he knew that Tyler was telling the truth. Not knowing what to say or do in the moment, Michael asked Tyler why he hadn't just run away if he hated his parents so much. Following Tyler's confession, Michael didn't leave the party. In fact, he took a selfie with Tyler in the garage since he thought it would be the last time he saw Tyler. Tyler had told him he never planned on getting away with it and planned on killing himself by overdosing on Percocet when the police came. At 1.30 a.m., the police actually did show up, but it was for a noise complaint. According to Killer Kids, Tyler's neighbors heard people noisily leave the house around 2.20 a.m., which is when Michael went home. After meeting with Michael, police got search warrants for the Hadley home and for Tyler's DNA. During the search, they found the bodies of both Blake and Mary Jo in the master bedroom. They were laying side by side with towels wrapped around their heads. The murder weapon, the hammer, was found between them. In Killer Kids, law enforcement officials commented that the bodies and murder weapons were piled in the bedroom like it was all just trash. Blake's wallet and Mary Jo's purse were in Tyler's bedroom. Through social media posts, security footage, and cell phone records, police were able to put together a timeline for the murders. Mary Jo and Blake Hadley arrived home from running errands in a nearby city sometime between 4.42 p.m. when Mary Jo spoke with her mother and 7.48 p.m. when Mary Jo's friend texted her, Tyler killed her and then his father. Knowing that he said it took him three hours to clean and that the party started a little after eight, it's likely that the murders happened shortly after Mary Jo's phone call with her mom. Tyler later went to an ATM and pulled cash out with his dad's debit card, which he then used to pay for food and drinks for the party. 
The South Florida Sun Sentinel reports that the autopsy revealed both of Tyler's parents had died from multiple blunt injuries. The medical examiner said Blake received 65 injuries, a broken nose, and severe head wounds. According to Killer Kids, it's likely that Tyler continued to beat his father with the hammer long after he had died. Mary Jo received 36 injuries, about half as many as her husband. Her skull was, according to the autopsy report, smashed like an egg. During the investigation, police interviewed more than 20 people who were at the party that night. Everyone knew that Tyler's parents would never have been okay with a house party, but when they asked him where they were, he said they were in a different town. In addition to his confession to Michael, Tyler did tell other attendees that he'd killed his parents. He even showed another friend the bodies, and according to the book See How Much You Love Me, the friend immediately left saying, I was never here. Tyler also told people that he was going away for a long time and wasn't sure if he was coming back. None of his weird behavior stood out to those who knew Tyler because he'd always said odd things to get attention. Some partygoers commented on the blood in the kitchen where Mary Jo had been killed, but they all just assumed it was dried mud. According to author Amber Hunt, when authorities interviewed Tyler's friends and family, they discovered that Tyler had told numerous people that his dad, Blake, had abused him by punching him in the face. Tyler also claimed Blake sexually molested him, something that has never been substantiated and Tyler never stated any of it to the police after his arrest. In fact, in footage of his interrogation seen on Killer Kids, the only thing Tyler said after being read his Miranda rights and being asked if he wanted to talk was nope before asking for an attorney. His father Blake is reported by many to be especially kind and that he wouldn't hurt a fly. In the Killer Kids episode, law enforcement officials explained that there was no reason for Tyler to hate his parents the way he did. Tyler's friends reported that he constantly complained about his parents, saying that they never let him be himself and that they always believed Tyler was in the wrong. But he also told them that his real father was dead and that Blake was his stepdad, which is 100% not the case. Tyler's actions devastated his older brother, Ryan, who had recently moved to North Carolina with his girlfriend. Because Tyler was a minor, Ryan automatically became his legal guardian. According to Killer Kids, Ryan told a neighbor that he visited Tyler in jail because it was what his parents would have wanted. That neighbor made sure to encourage Ryan to think of his own well-being as well. While in jail, Tyler wrote letters to his best friend, Michael. Tyler told him that he felt the devil had a hold on him when he murdered his parents, claiming that he spoke to the devil, which is why he seemed so crazy at the end. He also wrote about wanting to be a priest when he got out of prison. Since Tyler had told Michael he planned to commit suicide, Tyler was placed on suicide watch. After that ended, he was kept in isolation until he turned 18 a few months later, and once he was an adult, was moved to Gen Pop. Tyler was initially charged with second-degree murder because a grand jury indictment was needed for first degree, but when the grand jury did get his case, they quickly indicted him on two counts of first-degree murder. 
WPTV reports that Tyler went through psychological exams during the trial process and told his psychologist that he was probably mad about getting in trouble and everything that was going on. That his murderous thoughts started a little bit but increased in frequency became an obsession that he couldn't get off his mind. Tyler admitted to thinking about murdering his parents every day and told a different mental health professional, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and laughing while he was covered in his parents' blood. One psychologist said that no single factor led Tyler to kill his parents. He believed that a combination of Tyler's depression, isolation, lack of self-confidence, failure to have positive engagements with his parents, his substance abuse, and the intensifying conflict with his parents all played a role in why he murdered them. According to Killer Kids, Tyler was asked by a medical professional if he had three wishes, what would they be? Tyler said that his first wish would be to get out of jail, the second wish would be to have more money, and the third wish would be to have his parents back. The chief assistant state attorney said that it was telling that his number one concern was himself. Tyler was worried about getting a death sentence and according to See How Much You Love Me, told Michael in letters that that would fucking suck mad dick. But in an example of his duplicitous nature, Tyler's letters to his family were a drastically different tone. He was polite, never cussed, and would often talk about God. In contrast, his letters to his friends were often about drinking and drugs. He actually encouraged his underage friends to get drunk in honor of his memory. The book went on to say that outside of writing letters to his family, Tyler spoke in detail about the murders to his cellmates. One of them immediately went to the police and didn't want anything in exchange for sharing what Tyler said. The inmate told the police the following. Tyler said his parents deserved the beating. When Tyler's father tried to get away, Tyler ran after him and won. When the inmate read a news article about Tyler's murder, Tyler commented, nice, ain't it? He said Tyler would often laugh when discussing his murdered parents and shared that he never thought he'd go to jail just to the state hospital and he didn't regret killing his parents, that he'd always planned on showing the people at his house party what he had done. That was a lot to tell an inmate, but that wasn't the only inmate Tyler talked to. He told another inmate that the meds he was on made him kill his parents, that he was upset with his parents because he wanted to host a party, but they refused to let him. Tyler was disappointed because he'd been thinking about the party for weeks. Later, he told the second inmate something closer to what he had told his friend Michael, that the devil forced him to do it, but clarified that the devil was just a combination of drugs and money. Tyler also said that since his parents didn't try to stop him from killing them, that's how he knew they really loved him. The inmate also relayed how Tyler seemed to bask in the celebrity of his murder. According to him, every time a new person entered the jail, Tyler would ask, do you know who I am? I am the Hammer Boy. He'd also sign newspaper stories with his picture on them. On February 19, 2014, three years after the murders, Tyler pled no contest to the charges of first-degree murder. During his hearing, though at one point Tyler had claimed to have killed his parents in part because he was high on ecstasy, TC Palm News reports that he was actually sober during the attack. The court also determined that Tyler wasn't suffering from any mental illness at the time of the murders. The court believed that Tyler had lied in hopes of being able to make an insanity plea. 
When it came time to sentencing, Tyler was given two consecutive life sentences. The judge saying that Tyler had several characteristics of a dangerously antisocial personality and that he manipulated the courts to obtain a better result after his arrest. Tyler didn't face the death penalty since he was 17 when the murders occurred, but in 2016, Tyler's sentence was overturned due to Florida juvenile sentencing laws. He was resentenced in 2018 to the same sentence as before, two consecutive life sentences. CBS News reported on the judge as saying the murders were a heinous, atrocious, cruel product of premeditation. As of today, Tyler, the teen whose parents wanted nothing more than to give the world to, continues to enjoy the celebrity of his murders. According to TC Palm News, he's currently incarcerated in the Okeechobee Correctional Institution in Florida, where he goes by Ham, Hammer, Hambo, Hadley Hambo, and Bam Bam in prison. He even has a catchphrase, which is, it's hammer time. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Blake and Mary Jo's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 